All right. Welcome back to the Biblos Network. We are so glad that you have joined us today, this amazing Thursday. I trust you are enjoying the favor and the blessing of God where you are. It is a great day to be apostolic. Um, what a day. I woke up this morning and I'm AT&T. Uh, my cell coverage is AT&T and all of AT&T was down. The whole, the whole network around the nation, I guess is what they say. But here where we are, it was down and you, you don't realize how much you use cellular wireless data in your cell phone. And it was an interesting day. It was a more quiet day. I kind of enjoyed that. But now the speculation abounds, the rumors abound that it was a terrorist attack. Maybe it was. That it's an attack against infrastructure that were being conditioned by the government. Who knows what it was? Maybe somebody just dropped uh, their sandwich into the transformer, the main transformer, and short-circuited it. Who knows what happened? But I know that no matter what takes place, God is on the throne. And to all of the bibliophiles and the theophili, I welcome you uh, to, to dive in with us today and talk about the good things of God. One of our hopes here at Biblos is to help foster and encourage a love for the word of the Lord, the uh, looking into the beautiful truths of God's great word. Uh, David said, he asked God, he said, if you would open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. So I hope we can do that with you today. And I pray you're having great, great revival where you are. It's, it's, a, it's a day to be witnessing, to be testifying about the truth of God's word and the apostolic message, the Jesus name, one God, Acts 238 message. What a wonderful opportunity it is to contend for that. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, there's a, a passage of scripture where Jesus is being spoken of by the apostle. And it's found in the book of Colossians. It's, it's kind of a, a difficult passage to where you, you read it and you try to comprehend what is being, what is being said here. And I want to talk a little bit about what I think it means and maybe help shed a little light on it. You know, and, and let me say this before I dive into that, uh, this morning I was uh, getting ready for the day. I was getting cleaned up and prepared I had prayed and I had studied and I was singing a song as I did so. I was singing uh, that apostolic chorus that we, we love to sing. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He's the rock of all ages. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the heavenly father. He's the beginning and the end. And he's much more than this, my friend. He's the son of man. He's coming back again. And then I got into, I know Jesus is the father I know Jesus is the Son. I know Jesus is the Holy Ghost. And all these three are one. <laughs> if you want to get an apostolic church revved up and hyped up, that right there, that's an aisle running song. And, and you know, since I was a kid, we, we love to sing that. But I, as I begin to meditate upon that, that stanza, 
that refrain. It occurred to me that I want to talk about that. And I think that's what I'm going to call this episode today. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He is much more than people realize. Obviously more than the Trinitarian world understands. They have relegated him to a, a second person and a Godhead. We, we don't do that. We know him as, as Jehovah come in flesh, Elohim come to earth and joining his divinity with humanity into the man Christ Jesus and dying, rising from the dead on the third day and coming back pours out his Holy Ghost. And if you don't know it, the Holy Ghost is Jesus. It is Jesus in spirit. It's the spirit of Christ. And so we know this. People, apostolics know this. We contend for this. And, and the verse that I'm going to look at is, is found in Colossians chapter 2. Um, this is the famous apostolic herald that we like to preach on often. Colossians 2, 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Now, um, oftentimes people will stop there. But if you continue to go on, it will tell you that in verse 11, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Made without hands means it's of the spirit. No man could, could cut to such precision the dividing of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, God's blade, his, his two-edged sword, it, it provides that circumcision of Christ. Verse 12 tells us how that's done, buried with him in baptism. And incidentally, we know when, when boys were circumcised on the eighth day in the ancient world, they were also given their name. The Bible takes care to associate circumcision with the naming. So when a boy uh, was circumcised, they named him. John the Baptist was circumcised, and on the eighth day, they named him John. Jesus was uh, circumcised, and, and they named him Jesus. Um, and that is also where we get our name, when we're baptized in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you something about baptism in Jesus' name. It has far more salvific power than I think people realize because this is being said in the context that Jesus Christ is the head of all principality and power. There's spiritual activity in the principality and power world that Jesus name baptism directly addresses. And I want to talk about that too. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And here's the verse that I want to point out to you. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it. 
Where did that happen? What does that mean? He spoiled principalities. Principalities and powers are spiritual forces of very real, unseen spiritual world. I want to talk about how Jesus did that, what that means, and how you and I play a small role in that. Because we, we enter into a spiritual realm when we get involved in the business of God and we, when we are born again. Once you are born again, you can see the kingdom of God. To be born of the water, to be born of the spirit. That supernatural birth ushers us into a spirit world that is more real than anything you can imagine. So let's talk about that. This verse, I believe, is closely related to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, where the Bible says that um, Jesus ascended up on high and he led captivity captives and he gave gifts unto men. Now, that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. When did this happen? This happened at his, at his death, at his burial. There was activity that took place where Jesus addressed the principalities of this world. And I want to talk a little bit about that today because we need to know who Jesus really is. So as I launch into this today, let me say that the Bible is full of comparisons and parallels and shadows and types and metaphors and what the Bible calls figures and figures of the true. And there's an interesting portion of scripture where Moses told the children of Israel that the Lord would raise up a prophet like unto Moses and that you would hear him, that we would hear him. He also said that he circumcised in their body, in their flesh, but there would be one that would come that would circumcise them in their hearts and cut away their flesh in their hearts. Well, this is Jesus. Jesus is the one like unto Moses. And you can say the same thing of David. You can say the same thing of Israel. Jesus fulfills these men. Where they fell short, Jesus did not. And so even Adam, Jesus is the last Adam. He's the second Adam. Adam is a forerunner of Jesus in a sense. Moses is a forerunner of Jesus. David is a forerunner of Jesus. And these men are pointing to Jesus and, and their lives reflect Jesus. And I want to take a minute and really focus on Moses today. Because the parallels between Jesus and Moses are stunning. And I, I think people often overlook this. So both of them are babes that come into a hostile world. Moses into Egypt, Jesus into this world. They both come to their own and their own receive them not. You know, when, when, when Stephen is stoned, he shines a little light on an Old Testament passage where Moses, when, when he was beginning to enter into his, um, his adulthood and, and stepping into the calling that God had for him, <clears throat> the Bible says he saw an Egyptian abusing an Israelite. He stopped him and he wound up killing the Egyptian, burying him, concealing him in the sand. 
And the next day he sees two Israelites fighting. He tries to set them at one. He tries to make peace. And they thrust him away, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? So in the book of Acts, when Stephen is, is right before they stone him, he sheds light on that and says, just as they thrust Moses away, so you have thrust Jesus away. So he came into his own and his own received him not. That rejection of his authority is mirrored in the rejection of Jesus' authority. Both of them perform miracles, signs, and wonders. Moses in, in Egypt, Jesus in, in the world. Moses confronts Pharaoh. Jesus confronts Satan, the god of this world, and, and wins and prevails. Moses takes them through the water into the cloud. Jesus does the same. He takes us through water baptism and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is 1 Corinthians 10, that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And Jesus in the New Testament does the same for us. We are born of the water, born of the Spirit. That is how we are saved. You are not saved until you go through the water and Spirit. I've, I've done sessions on this before, and I hope people realize how powerful this great apostolic doctrine really is. So that exodus is a foreshadowing of the new birth. It is why Peter said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of you for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, even, even the words that he said after that, the promise is unto you and to your children. That promise is an is a echo of, of Moses as he takes them to the promised land. The promise that Moses took them to, Peter says, this is to you in the New Testament. There is a New Testament promised land. There's a new land that flows with milk and with honey in the Holy Ghost. So a godly life, an overcoming life, a a, a creative life where the creative power and glory of God shines through you will take you to a land that flows with milk and honey where your family can serve the Lord. You can create a legacy and you can rejoice in the God of your salvation. Now, I've said that before. You've heard me say that. What I, 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 I wonder if people realize is how detailed God gets with this. So when Jesus goes down to the Jordan River. A lot of folks don't realize he is fulfilling the failures of Israel and Moses. Moses and the children of Israel went through the water, and the Bible says into the cloud. And then they were led into the wilderness for 40 years. That is the significance of Jesus going through the water, the dove coming upon him, the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Which, by the way, that is not a picture of the Trinity. That is a picture of Acts 2.38. That is a picture of the Samaritans of Acts 8. It's a picture of the Ethiopian eunuch who goes through the water and went his way rejoicing. This is a picture of the Philippian jailer that they baptized the whole family and they rejoiced. And then Cornelius' house of Acts chapter 10 and then the apostles of, as the apostles met with the Acts 19 believers and Paul preaches to them the same message, have you received the Holy Ghost? Under what then were you baptized? He was checking to see, have you gone through the water? Has the dove come upon you? And so now they're led into the wilderness for 40 years and Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 years days that principle in the prophets a day for a year 
it's the principle upon which um, the 70 weeks of Daniel is built upon. It is also, um, there are other prophets that a year for a day was given to them as an example and as a metaphor. Jesus for 40 days goes into the wilderness and that 40 days was to undo the 40 years of failure of Moses and of Israel. So Jesus is the new Israel. Jesus is the new redeemer. He is, he is the fulfillment of Moses himself. What law or Moses failed to do, grace was going to do. And the, the three tests that Jesus conquered, that of, of the turning the stones to bread and not tempting the Lord, casting himself off from a high place, and not worshiping Satan directly corresponds to the Deuteronomic failures, the, the main three failures where Israel failed and, and angered Moses. So Jesus overcomes appetite and they fell to appetite when they ate manna to the full. God sent them quail. And they were so ungrateful, God smote them while the meat, while the quail was in their mouth, he smote them. And then they tempted the Lord at the waters of Meribah. Can the Lord provide waters in the wilderness? And God slew them for their unbelief. And Jesus refused to tempt the Lord. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. I will not throw myself off. I will not tempt him in the wilderness as they did. And then finally, the big one where Satan says, if you will bow down to me, worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And this is, this is the golden calf. This is Baal worship. This is, um, this is the gods of Egypt that they fell to. And just right after Sinai and where Moses and Israel were Aaron, I should say, and Israel fell and angered Moses. Jesus conquers that and he says, it is written that you will worship the Lord your God only. Him only shall you serve. No other gods before me. So Jesus overcomes that. And I, I could take more time with that. I could go into the fact that the first 12 failed and the second 12, Jesus and his apostles succeeded. And you put those two 12s together and there's your four and 20. There is your 12 by 12. If you can go further and, and, and read my, or listen to rather my session on the 144,000, that also plays a role there. Um, powerful, powerful metaphors. But it also points to the book of Hebrews where the Bible says they without us should not be made perfect. They receive not the promise, but they without us should not be perfect. So the two twelves come together, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. Jesus consolidates that. Jesus did all of that. So Jesus was undoing the 40 years of failure. And this is it's startling to see it, how, how vivid it is and, and, and the power behind which Jesus is displaying this. And they don't even realize it. And so I think today we don't even realize it. You know, uh, Moses turns water to blood as a sign to Pharaoh. And that is, that's Moses's first miracle. How, how am I going to show them this? 
how how is Pharaoh going to believe me? How will they believe me? And 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 Moses turns water to blood. And it is no accident, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus' first miracle. There's there's a hesitation on Jesus' part as Mary says, uh, whatever he says to you, do it. And Jesus says, woman, what have I to do with you? My my time has not yet come. But it was, it was there. They gathered the water pots and Jesus turns water to wine. First miracle, mirroring Moses' first miracle. Moses turns water to blood because this was a covenant of death, but Jesus turns water the water to wine because this is a covenant of life and that blood wine combination form. That's why we take communion. That's why that, that, that wine is the blood of the new Testament, which is shed for many. That's the, the one is the blood of Israel in the old Testament. Jesus, this is the blood of the grape. It is the symbolism of that. And Jesus was doing something so profound and powerful. Moses, Moses miracle and sign was, was a sign of death. Jesus' sign, his miracle, was a sign of life. New wine. I'm going to bless God's people. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to overcome where the predecessors failed. I, I don't know that people realize that those plagues in Egypt, those plagues in Egypt were heavily to do with the false gods of Egypt. Each plague was designed to topple the false gods. These are the gods of the people. These are the gods of Pharaoh. And one by one, Jehovah confronted those gods and showed his superiority. Jesus is the Elohim among the gods of this earth, which are no gods, the scripture says. They, there are mighty ones. There are, there are angels. There are devils. The Bible refers to them as principalities and powers. But Jehovah was showing that he was the one true living God. And so each plague in Egypt is overcoming those principalities and powers. And he makes a show of them openly and triumphs over them in that Old Testament context. Oh, but now we see Jesus. <laughs> now we see Jesus who comes and he conquers the principalities. He conquers the powers. He overcomes them. One of the greatest victory motifs and images in the Bible, there's several of them, you know, Joshua and Jericho, Gideon and the trumpet and the pitcher, the candle. <clears throat> but one of the greatest is Samson. And the Bible says of Samson that he slew a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And I can see that solitary figure of that man, that lone warrior fighting. His brothers took him and betrayed him and, and gave him to the Philistines. This is a powerful parallel of what would happen with Jesus. His, bro his brothers literally took him and turned him over to the Philistines. Well, Jesus, his brethren come and take him. The Jews, they take him, turn him over to the Romans. And there... Moses fights, rather, Samson rather, fights at the top of a mountain and he fights the Philistines alone. That aloneness resonates in the scripture. And Jesus did the same at Calvary. He said he looked to see if there was any that would help, any, any that would be valiant for truth, any that would hearken and listen, and he found no one. And so alone he faced them. 
By his right arm, he faced them. By his own power. God didn't send somebody else to do the job. He came himself. And there I see him at Calvary. And, and you might see him there crucified. But if you could see in the Holy Ghost, the world of the principalities and the powers, there were devils coming at him from every direction. Hatred and fear, anxiety, depression, lust, greed, pride, all of the branches and roots, all of the wicked principalities and powers that hold men and women captive and in subjection. The Bible says he took captivity captive. They were strong, but Jesus was stronger. He was the stronger man that came to bind up the strong man and spoil. The Bible says that a, a, a strong man's goods are at peace until a stronger than he comes and spoils him. Well, Jesus is the stronger than he. He comes. And, and you might think that suicide is strong, but Jesus is stronger. You might think that lust and fornication and porn is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Praise God. You might think that despair and and, and depression is strong, but there is none like unto Jehovah. Jesus has become our salvation. And by himself at Calvary, he overcame the principalities and the powers and he triumphed over them. The king of the Jews had come and the thorns and briars of Genesis chapter three, he takes and makes them his crown and he becomes the king of the thorns, the king of all creation, of, of all, the head of all principalities and powers. And he triumphs. There is a, a school of thought that in death, in his death, in his dying, Jesus was seeing things that, that people had no idea what it was he was seeing. He was seeing the principalities. He was seeing the powers. We know that he could do this. The Bible says of Peter that he came to Jesus and, and tells him that, Lord, you will not be crucified. We will not let this happen. And Jesus addresses the devil that was motivating Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest the things that be of man, not the things that be of God. Jesus addressed the spirit that was there. And so at Calvary, he fought those principalities and those powers. And just like Samson, he slew them by himself. Even to the point where when Samson is done, he says, have I received this victory? And now I die of thirst. I am thirsty. And there is Jesus on that cross. And it is no accident that he says, I thirst. He is, he is fulfilling that old Testament paradigm that I have conquered uh, the enemies of heaven. I have conquered the adversary. The serpent is under my heel and I thirst. I love the statement of Samson that he slew more in his death than he did his life. And, and if you are a believer in Jesus, that should make you want to shout and do laps around the church because Jesus conquered and slew more in his death than he did his life. As great as his life's ministry was, his death was that much greater. He was the overcoming hero. He was the champion of the ages. And there's a school of thought that when it says he ascended up on high, before that, he descended down into the lower parts of the earth. And there he communed with those spirits. The Bible says of those spirits that they are kept in everlasting chains of darkness. 
They are chained. There are, there, there's, there's activity we know nothing about as human beings. There's, there's dialogue in the Old Testament. There's, there's places in the Bible where um, Micaiah is, is prophesying and, and he's talking to Ahab. But while he's doing that, there's a heavenly council where the sons of God present themselves to Jehovah, to Elohim. And, and he says, who will go down and be a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab? And one spirit said this, another spirit said this. And finally, another one said, I will be a lying spirit. I will go down. I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. I will deceive him. He will go up to Ramoth Gilead and he will be slain. God did that. And that should terrify you. That should put the fear of God on the inside of everybody that has, has a heart towards God because that spirit came from God. This, this leads us to the scripture that says that because they received not the love of the truth, God sent them a strong delusion that they would believe a lie. It's terrifying to know that the thoughts that are persuading me and moving me come from God who sees my heart, who, who could turn me over to those spirits, turn me over to those principalities and powers. I become enslaved by them. That terrifies me that I could think I'm cruising along and making decisions on my own not knowing that God is allowing me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. He's looking at the condition of my heart. And he's dealing with me accordingly. He dealt with Ahab according to Ahab's heart. And he dealt with Micaiah and Jehoshaphat according to their hearts. That is a terrifying thing. A thing can seem completely right to you. And it can be an unclean spirit. There can be people talking to you and there are spirits moving them. It's that invisible spirit world, that world of principalities and powers that Jesus addressed. And I don't know, but that Jesus didn't go down in death and address them and tell them, I won. I prevailed. The Bible says that he conquered them. He made a show of them openly. When did that happen? I suspect it was at Calvary. I suspect it was as they buried him. I suspect that he preached to the spirits in prison. And that's very, it's, it's out there. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a strange thing to contemplate. But we know he dealt with those principalities and powers. We know he took captivity captive. You know, they would, they would conquering kings would take the slaves and chain them in a daisy chain. They would be chained and shackled and they would walk head down all the way back to the, the kingdom of the, the triumphant king. And that's what Jesus did to those spirits. So to everybody that is bound by all of these unclean forces, you have one that already conquered them. You have a strong man. You have an able redeemer. And the power of the Holy Ghost is able to, to deliver you from any force in this world, if you will yield yourself to it, if you will let that mighty God fill your heart by the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you will be baptized in Jesus name. Now see, that's another thing. Um, the Bible says there that in Colossians chapter two, that we are baptized with him into death. And in that, there are even some people that feel that in that baptism in identifying in Jesus death, you are making a proclamation to those spirits. You are having that name, that name of Elohim. Jehovah has become my salvation. Jesus, you are putting that name over your life. And here's something very interesting. 
The Bible says that the name of the Father would be in the foreheads of the elect in the book of Revelation. Well, what name is that? We know the name of the Father is Jesus, and the name of the Son is Jesus, and the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. There's something significant and authoritative in the spirit world that when you get baptized in Jesus' name, just like Jesus went into death and conquered and spoiled, literally took everything from them, You know, uh, even even Abraham at the slaughter of the kings with Melchizedek, he took of them, he spoiled them, and he comes and he gives the gifts to men. He gives the gifts to his men and to his servants, and and he 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 gives the tenth of the spoils to the Lord and to Melchizedek. And there is bread and there is wine. My goodness. This is Jesus. Jesus goes to the slaughter. Jesus goes to the battle and he conquers them and he takes captivity captive. And, and all of them by himself, he defeats them and he brings gifts back and he gives the spoils of war. He gives power. He gives authority. He gives strength. He gives every good gift. It comes from above, from the father of lights. Praise God. This is what Jesus did. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He is the greater than Moses. He is the greater than Abraham. He is the one that spoiled principalities, led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. If you could see Abraham divvying out the spoils of war after the slaughter of the kings, that's what Jesus did when he overcame death and hell. He told those unclean spirits. He told those false gods, I've conquered you. Just like he did in the Old Testament with those Egyptians, God, Egyptian gods, he did it to the great ones today, the, the devils that hold you captive. He told them, he triumphed, openly he triumphed over them. He rose from the dead on the third day. All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And when you get baptized in Jesus' name and that worthy name of Jesus is called over you, you go into his death. You proclaim to those spirits. You identify with Jesus and show your allegiance. You don't belong to Adam any longer. You belong to the second Adam who has prevailed. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a lot more that could be said. But for today's session... I just want you to know that there's a whole lot more to that spiritual activity than people realize. When you come to cast out devils, you're coming in the name of the one who prevailed and who took captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. So I hope that helps you today. I hope you understand how great your salvation is. This is the activity that happens when you repent and you get baptized in Jesus mighty name. And you're filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And by the way, if you don't think those spirits know that, oh, those seven sons of Sceva, they, they tried to cast out vagabond Jews, the Bible called them. Um, vagabond meaning they have no dwelling place. These were people who um, were unsubmitted, people with no location, people that were, had no place. And, and it's interesting that the Bible identifies their father's name, but not their name. We adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches. So it's not who we preach. It's not who we've obeyed. But we're just going to use his name to cast out devils. And that unclean spirit looked at them and said, Oh, no. I know Jesus. 
and I know Paul. But who are you? Leapt on them, overcame them, they fled naked. That spirit world knows who we are. And it happens when you follow the one that led captivity captive. I want, I want those spirits to say, I know Jesus and I know Nathaniel and I want to have dominion in my city. I know you can have dominion in your city. I know that you can in your Bible studies. And I pray that God continues to uh, help you and strengthen you where you are. Build your church, support your pastor, love the things of God, dive into his word, and you'll find the treasures that are located inside of it. Um, very quickly before I dismiss, um, this session, let me take one quick second and let me tell you about the seven churches of Asia tour, the Ephesus event standing in the shadows of history. This is going to be led by Dr. Johnny King. It is uh, in coordination with Wilson university and it's going to be held October 17th to the 24th in 2024 in Turkey. So you will fly into uh, Istanbul, which is uh, ancient, ancient Constantinople, Constantine, Emperor Constantine. Um, Nicaea is not too far away from there. You can go to Pergamos, Thyatira. You can go to um, Ephesus, and there you'll see sites that will amaze you. Follow the footsteps of the early church as they went and preached the gospel. It's going to be a great time. You can go to BibleLand.ca. BibleLand.ca. You can register there. I will be there along with several other people, and, and I hope that you could join us. It'll be a great time. So I hope that helps you today. I hope that is a blessing to you. Until next time, God bless you, God keep you, and God cause his face to shine upon you. 